0: Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app of participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust special general meeting, our first of the new season, and... Uh... In particular, welcome to our new board, um, who I will whiz around and quickly introduce. This is Cliff Auger, our secretary Paul Jeffrey, Celia Mindelson, Dan Silver, Dave Johnson, Richard Weeks, who am I missing? Chris Rabin, Debs Cody, and Charles Jackson. And uh, Ramsey's appeared, who's now just been co opted. So we're all here, which is very nice. One of the things uh, that I wanted to just have a very quick chat about, because I'm just going to waffle on for a a couple of minutes and leave most of the talk to everybody else, really. But um, since I got elected as chair, we've had a couple of board meetings. And one of the things that we felt uh, we needed to address was how we can more effectively progress our work on the motions that you all voted on in the summer. And basically, that gives us our mandate going forward in terms of what we do. So we had a bit of a think, and what we agreed on was to set up various working groups which will cover most of the motions, which are quite similar in nature. So if I just kind of quickly run through um, what the groups are, what they cover, and who's going to be heading them and working on them, and then I'm going to get the respective heads to have a little chat uh, in terms of what they've been up to therein. But we have uh, the Atmosphere Working Group, which is headed by Richard Weeks, and he's, uh, he works together with Dave Johnson on that, and that covers, amazingly enough, all th- issues relating to atmosphere, but also safe standing, which, you know, is a standalone motion that uh, was, was voted on by you guys. Um, we've got a supporters' issues working group, which is headed by Cliff, Cliff Auger, and he works with Chris Rabin, Charles Jackson, and Dave Johnson again, and basically they cover ticketing, touting, allocations, kick-off times, and banning orders. Uh, We have a Stamford Bridge redevelopment working group, uh, which is headed by Dave, and uh, I kind of work together with Dave on that as well, and that covers obviously the redevelopment, but also going forward it'll be dealing with the temporary uh, move, wherever that may be. Uh, We have an affiliations working group, which is headed by Cliff, and I work with him on that and Debs, Debs Cody, and that covers uh, the kind of groups that we are allied to and work together with where we quite often get involved with ad hoc campaigns. But specifically that will include Supporters Direct, uh, the Football Supporters Federation, the CPO, of course, and the Safety Advisory Group. And also one thing that we're quite keen to uh, do more with uh, at the moment, and that's to to kind of ally ourselves with and communicate with and engage with all of the UK-based Chelsea supporters groups. Um, And finally, in terms of working groups, uh, we've got the Community Engagement Working Group, which is headed by Cliff again, and he works with Chris Rabin and Debs Cody on that, and they cover uh, stakeholder engagement, community work, Chelsea heritage, so like the Brompton Cemetery work that Cliff and the others have been doing, uh, and also local businesses and local government. And I'm sure the guys will tell you a little bit more uh, specifically in terms of what they've been doing uh, in relation to all of those things. I mean, the main thing, I think, from our point of view was that, you know, other than really focusing on what is most important, which are the issues which you voted on, which creates the mandate that we have, I think it was also important to – you know, spread the load around, really. I I got the feeling over the last three years, whilst the Trust had done an awful lot of good work, and, you know, we should, again, thank Tim very much for his leadership on that. Um, But I think what happened was it was boiling down to maybe just two or three people doing most of the work. So I think we were all keen that everybody got more involved, and uh, and I think also, more importantly, took more responsibility for what they were doing. So really, hopefully, what the working groups will do is it will give more responsibility... (coughs) accountability, mm-hmm. visibility, and accessibility. So there's a lot of abilities in there. But, of course, all the people who are running them have great abilities, so I have complete confidence in them. Yeah. Ah, that's my worst gag so far this evening. They, they will probably get worse, actually. But um, more importantly, you know, I think that whole visibility and accessibility is important. And uh, Debs, who works very hard on the website and has pretty much turned the whole thing around in the last six months and uh, it deserves enormous credit for doing that, We've also set up uh, more kind of individual emails for the trust now. So, you know, you should be able to get hold of any one of us very, very easily and hopefully get an answer out of us very, very quickly. That, of course, is the plan. Um, just another quick mention, really, for other people in, in terms of what they're doing. Um, we've got Dan Silver, who's heading up an, an initiative to engage with the overseas supporters. Who, uh, we have many overseas supporters who uh, support the trust and have done since its inception um, particularly uh, Beth and Chelsea in America, who's pretty s- much signed up every single one of the chapters uh, to the trust, which is great. But they have, as you can imagine, very very different requirements and needs from us. Rather than really focusing on most what is important, important issues, which are the voted, which you've created on which the man creates, we hand eight the I have. There's also, I think, it wouldn't too important to you know. Sp- you read the lady. I am really feeling. I got the f- three years. For the last the trials. Well, an awful lot of work. A lot of good and we should, you know. So she will be uh, battering their ears. Hopefully on a what was it? Three meetings a year, Debs? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Debs is still our fan fa- fans forum representative, and of course she does all of the website and the social media. So there we go. I think that's probably enough from me, other than to say I think uh, we should raise a toast, or I'm going to raise a toast, to Matthew Harding, in fact, as I th- my first Guinness of the day, to Matthew Harding. Right. Um, I know. Well, it, I've been busy, mate. You know, all this kind of trust stuff and Kerry and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Uh, and they run out of Guinness in the cock, so I'm, I'm not happy. That's not a euphemism. Oh, they don't usually have it. But that's probably why they'd run out then. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't tell me that at the time. Um, Okay, so really for the next kind of 20 minutes or so, um, you're going to hear from Richard, Cliff, and Dave, uh, and they're going to give you a little report on uh, what they've been up to in terms of their respective working groups. And then after that, I mean, I think the other thing I should really say is that within that, um, any of the big hot issues at the moment, which I'm sure many of you are keen to know more about, such as what's happening with West Ham, will be included in that. Um, We're then going to do 20 minutes or so on on the membership survey. Celia's going to present the key points from the summary, aren't you? That will be released uh, to the membership at the end of this week, fingers crossed, Uh, and uh, to the usual outlets as well. Now, after that, if we could have about 10, no more than 15 minutes for any questions that you want from the floor to any one of us, uh, we will do our best to answer them. So if you could kind of store them up to the end, Rather than do them as we go along, I'd be very grateful. It's just that time is really tight tonight, obviously, because we've got Kerry uh, doing the book signing, and hopefully he'll do a little bit of a Q&A with you as well. So I don't really want us to witter on too much, although I'm conscious of the fact that the point of these meetings is that you get a chance to actually engage with us. That's entirely their point. So I won't restrict that. So enough from me. Um, Richard. Uh, good evening. Richard's going to tell you all about the atmosphere and safe standing. It goes all the way to the back, but I don't expect you to go that far. Right.
4: No, right. Sorry. Can you hear me? Is it working okay? It's not. A, it's not. A, um,
0: yeah. yeah it's just it's just it's talk. A it's just recording.
4: You don't. Oh. Okay. It's not projecting. <laughs> no. No. But I'd yeah. I meant, is it working anyway? Hello. Um. I guess. Uh. Just to sort of. Uh. Keep it short and sharp. I guess. Um. We've been, me and Dave, uh, have had a meeting with, our first meeting with the club um, since the new board was formed. Um, we had a meeting with uh, Buck just to sort of really uh, lay down sort of our first initial points about trying to sort of, I don't know, discuss the atmosphere. It's a difficult topic to try and pinpoint and also to try and really improve on, I suppose, because where do you start? Um I think the main point of the meeting that we had with Buck a few weeks ago was um, was really to... The club seemed to do a lot of displays in the Matthew Harding end uh, without any sort of uh, negotiation with supporters. And quite often we get sort of slated uh, in the you know, in social media about the plastic flags and this, that and the other. And I think uh, one of the points we wanted to try and make was that the club needed to try and start... Um, start actually going going to groups of supporters and um, sort of discussing plans and and trying to get their thoughts on things like that. Because if it's just coming from some marketing guy, uh, I don't think they're always going to fully understand what is a good Chelsea display. Um, I mean, it's maybe my personal opinion, but that light display that happened at Liverpool, we got ridiculed for as well. Uh, And you've got the guy in marketing who's uh, sort of reeling off on social media, saying how great it was. But I think quite a lot of people felt a little bit... uh, You know, maybe it was a bit cringy. That's my personal opinion, Um, but I mean, that's the main point: is to try and get the club to talk with supporters more often about the things they want to do. Also, is I want to try and get the club to outline um, all of the sort of restrictions they put on supporters. So, for example, flagpole size, which has stopped um, my group, the We Are The Shed group, from taking in flags. Uh, They never actually give us a solid reason. They just stop supporters from doing things, and I think it's important that they at least give us what their logical explanation is, even if it's not necessarily logical. Uh, they always just seem to bat us away. Um, I think we've got um, we've got another meeting set up in the next couple of weeks with uh, Head of Ticketing, Head of Security, and Bruce Buck again um, to sort of reiterate a few of the points that we sort of underlined in the last meeting to make sure that the club are progressing with it uh, and asking the right questions of the people in charge. Um, I think another thing that I want to start doing is, um, again, it sort of ties in with the email address thing, is that um, when we do go to have a meeting, I think it would be nice that uh, if we if people want to put something forward to the, you know, to Bruce Buck, for example, about atmosphere, they could email us. We're not necessarily going to take it to them, but, you know, if we feel it's relevant and feel it's, it's an important point, it'd be something that we could, you know, it gives the members, I think, an opportunity to sort of have, a, you know, part of that dialogue i suppose um the last thing is as well um i've forgotten the last thing oh yeah so safe standing um we contacted uh, well 1884 got in contact with us didn't they the man city group about um having their legalized safe standing banner at stanford bridge or an away game um we did chase them but they didn't come back to us so i don't know i don't know where they've gone but I think it would be a good idea to sort of start working with other sort of active supporters groups within Chelsea and outside Chelsea to try and bring home points that all football supporters care about, really. So things like legalised safe standing. Um, Dave, did you want to, you look you look busy there. Did you want to add anything on safe standing? Because I know that you sort of, you deal with the the more sort of stadium side of things. Okay. Well, I think... Well, I mean,
0: the only thing I was going to add is that, you know, after the, the big fans forum meeting where they presented uh, the plans for the stadium, um, we did release a statement after that which kind of focused on, on what appeared to be their lack of progress, call it what you will. I mean, actually, downright hostility, in fact, in some respects, to safe standing. So we were very quick to put a statement out on that point, reiterating the fact that that's fundamentally what we want. Um, and it's interesting actually that the pitch seems to have queered a little bit since then, and we're not quite sure what's coming out. So, I mean, we, we, as the Trust, will be meeting with the club um, pretty soon after um, the survey goes out next week, so that's obviously something that we'll want to talk about because I have no doubt that safe standing will come s- strongly through the survey, as it always does.
4: Yes. yes. I agree. Um, <laughs> I, I, sort of, I don't really have anything else to add because it is sort of early doors with um, this sort of, you know, the working group on, on, on atmosphere. And like I said, we have um, got another meeting set up with the club very soon. So, who are we passing on to next? <laughs>
0: I believe. If you're done, thank you, Richard. I am. I am yeah, that was great. I'll oh, grab that when You grab it.
5: Hi, I just sort of add to what Richard was saying there. And I think he's done himself and Dave down a little bit because the, um, the shed... Um, campaign that Richard runs they, they were solely um, it was solely their idea to put the, se- the recent shed uh, banners on to celebrate the 50th anniversary and that all came from Richard's uh, lead and it was all fan funded as well and also today's display for Matthew Harding it, it was done in conjunction with the fans and I thought it was really good so well done Dave and Richard for both of that, yeah, it's pretty good <laughs> Um, Just going on to the supporters issues, one that I'm uh, um, running here, Um, (laughs) I was going to say it's quite heartening that the Metropolitan Police come to us for a meeting about contentious games, well I don't know if heartening is the right word, but um, we had a meeting recently um, with the police regarding the forthcoming West Ham game, um, and just I might add that uh, Fair place to Chelsea Football Club on, on in respect of this, they held out for the for the for the full allocation that we were due at Upton, uh, Upton Park at the Olympic Stadium, which would have been five thousand seven hundred. West Ham have only given us five two, citing various issues that they can't give us the full allocation. But Chelsea and and Graham Smith, the ticketing uh, director, firmly pushed for that right up to the last minute. So so well done to them on that, although we didn't actually get it. Um. Now obviously the police think there might be some issues there on Wednesday night uh, with 5,200 Chelsea fans over there and I'm pretty sure there will be one way or another. Um, one of the biggest issues I th- that's come to light since the meeting that we had is that there, won't, there will only be eight turnstiles available to Chelsea fans going in that night for 5,200 people. So if I could give you an example of it, how it works at Stamford Bridge when, when away fans have the hold of the shed end which is just under six thousand. They get twenty turnstiles. So, yeah, it, it, that's that's right. Yeah, the the, the league cup allocation now I- is ten percent. It's gone down to ten percent. FA Cup is still fifteen percent. So, no, no, it it it. it, 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 it it was new. It was new rules that came in. I don't know if Arsenal pushed for those new rules, but new rules came in. And if West Ham have an FA Cup home draw, Christ knows how they're going to get on with the, with fifteen percent over there because that'd be the thick end of nine thousand people. Pardon? Cup. No, FA Cup fifteen percent. Yeah, FA Cup fifteen, League Cup ten. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Chelsea, uh, regarding the West Ham game, Chelsea are going to be putting stuff out on Monday. They're, they're encouraging people to be in their seats 30 minutes before the kick-off. That's in their seats, not outside trying to get in, but in their seats. And I think it's going to be pretty damn chaotic, people coming from work straight to the game or whatever. But if any of you are going, get there early or you're going to miss kickoff for sure. The club have invited um, one of our reps to go along and observe that because I don't know if any of you remember talking about the Arsenal game. It was pretty chaotic getting in over there on the evening. So they've taken on board that there might be the same sort of chaos for Wednesday evening. They've invited one of our reps and Dan's going along with the club club people, the security people and Graham Smith to just to observe what's going on. He'll be there before and after the game to see, see what's going on. Martin. I'd say, I'd say off the t- this personally, I'd say no, because in, if, if it goes to... It cons- conceivably we go to extra time and penalties, it's going to be even more chaotic and that's when I think the chaos will kick in on Wednesday, after the game where they're directing everyone back to Stratford. You know, and especially if there is extra time and penalties, people who want to get home, it's going to be... So, h- h- touch wood, I hope everything goes well and there's no bother and everyone gets home and, and we win, of course. That, that, that's always always um, something that they have for any game. They, they've got that ability to keep away fans in, and it's it, he didn't dismiss it, the senior copper over there. He didn't dismiss it. He didn't say it was going to happen for sure, but it's something that could happen, and hopefully it doesn't. Ramsey.
0: Ramsey.
6: Okay. Um, Um, I heard yesterday that Sunderland fans were kept in twenty to thirty minutes, and there's only more I
5: don't know if they had the full allocation, three thousand yeah. of them. I, I, as far as I'm aware, they had the full three thousand. I didn't know they had been kept in after the game.
6: Then there isn't any doubt they're going to keep us in for bloody ages. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to keep that, actually,
0: man? If anybody else wants to ask a question, Ramsey. yeah, yeah. Ramsey is now, now officially
6: Mickey
5: microphone. <laughs> 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 um we are working on a, a kickoff time tim rolls is, is still working um, uh, with the trust and with other uh, supporters trusts across the country he's doing a kickoff times initiative with other tra- trusts at the moment which as we all know you know it's a pain in the backside when sky move move the games and you know you, you can't get sort of rail tickets well in advance silly kickoff times where where you know, to be fair, when Liverpool came down here for a Friday night game, it's it's just it's just we played at Burnley on a Monday night a few few a uh, few years ago, and I think the general consensus uh, consensus is from most people that if they're going to do a midweek. Um, game that's live on TV why don't they do it within a hundred mile radius of the of the club that, that's playing at least then you've got the chance to get back on public transport or if you're driving it's only an hour, an hour and a half two hours journey at the most rather than being three or four hours um, you know, some godforsaken northern hellhole um. <laughs> yeah. Right, I think that's me covered for that Particular issue. Um, yeah, I don't think I've got anything more to say about uh, that. But if any of you have got more issues, uh, questions about West Ham, ask away or ask later. Debbs, anything you want to add to that? Sorry. Oh, good stuff. Okay, thanks. Um, handing over to. Oh.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to add that. I mean, obviously, you know. The Supporter Issues Working Group is probably the most kind of reactive of all the groups that we have because, you know, it it tends to be very much concerned with issues that hit the supporters on a kind of almost game-to-game basis. Um, So, you know, a lot of it's firefighting and and dealing with the club about uh, issues like the West Ham issues that Cliff was talking about. But, you know, he's right to mention the whole kick-off thing, which Tim is – I mean, he started before he he left the board and because he has great links with supporters direct because of his chairmanship – we decided it was a good idea for that to carry on. But there are th- other things that which we can take a longer-term view and, and get involved with a bit of planning, and we will, of course, A, be doing that, and, of course, B, will always be keeping you informed of what we're up to in that kind of respect. Is that fair enough, Cliff? Yeah. 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 Okay, so... Um, who have we got next? We've got uh, Dave on the Stamford Bridge uh, redevelopment. Do you want to grab Ramsey's mic, mate?
7: Hello, David Johnson calling. Um... As we know, uh, the um, redevelopment of Stanford Bridge is progressing. Uh, on a personal note, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And um, I think it's um, pretty much agreed by all the board members and most of the um, actual membership that um, everyone's behind the redevelopment, save the um, issue on safe standing, Uh as far as I'm aware, the planning permissions are progressing nicely. The um, question of safe standing has arisen, as alluded to earlier, and um, I think Chelsea are somewhat reticent to um, implement it, but um, as a board, we've discussed this several times. Chelsea aren't a club that take the lead but rather one that follows and I'm sure that if the the regulation as opposed to legislation changes and um, the first Premier League club introduces safe standing I'm sure there'll be a domino effect because nobody will want to be seen to be left behind and there is provision in the lower tiers behind the goal for safe standing other than that I think the redevelopment is absolutely fantastic um I'm very fortunate that um I know quite a bit about it for um various reasons which is why um has um asked me to um handle this um particular brief and um On a personal note, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's brilliant. As I said at the last meet, in the the main man behind it, Hugh Rosen, who um, some of you might have met at um, the CPO uh, meeting when they had a display of the model, and uh, who Deb's Cody met at the recent um, fans forum, which was um, specially um, called to discuss the um, stadium is uh, a Chelsea supporter. He's um, an ex-shed boy and uh, he's 100% in favour of 99% of the things that um, we as a trust are interested in. We're going to have uh, the the price of the ticket isn't going to increase people are going to have the chance to um, remain where they are, which a lot of people have aired their concerns to me about. It's going to be absolutely fantastic, and I hope everybody's 100% behind it. It's brilliant. And uh, uh, I know that should their be any problem with the planning permission and this build does not go ahead there isn't a plan b so we won't be moving away from stanford bridge which is in my view anyway the main thing i'd rather struggle along in the forty-two 000 seat stadium as we are and remain as chelsea football club stanford bridge of fulham road than go anywhere else and um it's all tickety-boo
0: Dave, just a quick question: Are we? I mean, do, you, do we have any more information other than what we heard at the fans' forum meeting about, you know, likely timescales for planning permission? And because I mean, at the end of the day, you know, nothing's really going to happen until there's planning permission. I would assume.
7: Well, the plan was initially to um, start the redevelopment at the end of this season. It might well be the end of next season. They're going to. Start by demolishing the health club, which is situated behind the Matthew Harding end. And they're going to build across the railway lines. And then um, they'll take it from there. The only, I won't call it bone of contention, but the only um, question that is up in the air at the moment is where we will play while stanford bridge is being redeveloped um and there are some questions that have arisen there's some concerns that people have raised and um myself chidge no doubt cliff will be taking them to um chelsea football club those concerns include um uh ticket sales um meeting for away games if you know if you um travel on uh, club travel. I'm not on a personal note, I don't think there's any chance of Chelsea compensating anybody for travel to Wembley. The fact is whilst Chelsea have got um Mr Abramovich again, sorry, I'm gonna have to um he won't leave me alone. Um, whilst uh, Chelsea have got a mega store in Kingston, because um, according to their demographic, that's where a lot of Chelsea supporters live. We all know that Chelsea supporters are situated all over the place. So for us who are fairly local, or, you know, we're in West London, you know, we're happy come to Stamford Bridge, but I'm sure if, if Chelsea go to Wembley, those who live in North London will be um, just as pleased. So, you know, it's sort of a, a bit of give and take, in my opinion. But, you know, if you, the membership, want to um, uh, send us on a different route, we'll, um, we'll take up the mantle for you. But um, if you do, I'll give you my best thoughts, what I think is the best advice. But nevertheless, it's up to the membership to decide um, what you'd like us to say. I think, um, as I said, I'm over the moon that we're staying here. And um, if I can just add this, I think if you can all buy a Chelsea pitch owner's share and ensure that we, the supporters, keep a grip on what happens at Stamford Bridge, it will secure the future. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks Dave that's good stuff. Uh right now I'm going to pass on to Cliff um who uh, has the te- next two slots actually. He's going to talk about affiliations first and uh, the work that we're doing in the community after that.
5: Right um the affiliation section uh basically covers the meetings we have uh, with Supporters Direct, the Football Supporters Federation and various other supporters trusts. Um it can be quite dry stuff, but there are some good things coming out of it. And and a lot of the meetings that we've had over the last few years have directly led to the £30 cap on the away um, tickets. So, you know, that's an ongoing issue about ticket ticket prices in general. But it's a start. So um, there is there is a lot of work going on at the moment. Um, I don't know if some of you might have noticed that it was a... a an, uh, new, an MP elected to the um, wh- what's it called, the working group, Paul? Select committee. The select committee, yeah, select committee. yeah. <laughs> Damian Collins was recent. He was recently uh, elected to head it up, and he's very, very pro football fan. He's very pro safe standing, and he's very up on the governance of football. I mean, um, the trusts in the Premier League certainly probably don't hold too many aspirations to taking over their team. And run, you know, buying out all the shares or whatever, or, or buying out the owner and running it. But there is a lot of aspiration that they get a seat on the board um, to give the supporters proper representation at the cl- at club, uh, top of the club level. And Damien Collins is, is very much in favour of that. So hopefully, in the next few years, we'll have some uh, uh, some good movement on that. Um, we recently, for the second year running, had, a, had an event with the Play Qatar people who were down here for the Leicester game just a photo opportunity where we had they had a banner and and we unfurled it and they they took photos which went out in the media and on various websites just in support of the uh, the workers that are being treated pretty much as slave labor in the building of the uh, stadiums for the Qatar World Cup um as Chidge mentioned we we we're, we're looking to sort of um grow our affiliations with the uh, all the uk supporters groups around the country and that's that's an ongoing thing that we, we we hope to take up in the next few months and obviously dan is concentrating on the overseas groups um don't think i've got anything more to add about affiliations unless there's any questions about them though no. um the last bit for me is about the community issues we, we've been doing and, and I'm quite passionate about this. We've been um, over at Brompton Cemetery, it, it sounds a bit weird I suppose, but uh, we've been cleaning up the graves of all the Chelsea related people over there and there are quite a few of the founders, founding fathers of Chelsea Football Club buried at Brompton Cemetery. And there probably a lot of you walked by and, and may have seen the Mears uh, Memorial over there, which is on the main avenue through the cemetery. But there are two or three others tucked away that were, were badly overgrown and badly maintained. And we, over the last um, year or so, I guess, we've really brought them back into good shape. And it's all uh, hopefully leading up to an event that we plan for Founders Day next year in, in the, on the 10th of March that... Um, we're in conjunction with Rick Glanville, the Chelsea historian o- over this, and he, he's offered to do some guided tours of the of the graveyard and explain exactly what role the people had that, that are buried over there. Um, and he, he's recently uncovered um, a Chelsea player that was buried over there in an unmarked plot. Apparently this guy, Jack Whitley, he was a, the goal, a goalkeeper who, who took over from Fatty Folk back in the day and he was a real Chelsea stalwart, he played, for, played a lot of games for the club, he left, uh, when he stopped playing he became a trainer and physio at the club, and he, he, all in all he gave about 30 years service to Chelsea, and uh, when he died, he died up in Hertfordshire, he asked specifically to be buried in West Brompton so he could be near to Stamford Bridge, I say, so Rick's recently uncovered the unmarked Mark Plot that he's in, and we, we cleared that recently, and uh, We hope in the next few months or so, or a few weeks or so, to get some sort of crowdfunding, to get um, fundraising uh, initiative, that we can put some sort of headstone or or slab there to mark where he's buried. Um, Don't think... Oh, uh, the other thing, we hope to... um, get an initiative to go in to reach out to local businesses and local pubs uh, that, uh, uh, that encourage Chelsea fans to go in and uh, some of the pubs you get a bit funny they the peop- they let people in before the game and then they won't want, they don 't want you back in there after the game they cite the fact there 's a public uh, private function going on, but basically you just don 't want Chelsea fans in there after the game so we 're keen to sort of name and shame pubs like that and encourage people to go to Chelsea pubs like the Atlas here, which is a decent pub, a bit pricey but uh <laughs> um well, what do you qualify as well you know o- over two quid a pint is <laughs> pricey <laughs> yeah. but um you know and, and again the, the pubs and the clubs uh, pubs and restaurants and and cafes and, and whatever you around this area are going to suffer when chelsea move away for 3 years so hopefully we can we can bring them on board where where if chelsea fans are in the area they can go and use them with chelsea playing or not but just to keep the sort of momentum going and hope that there's a lot of pubs and, and, and restaurants still available when we return to Stamford Bridge. Um, so, that's a w- sorry for hogging it so much, but that's about all from me, unless there's any questions you want to raise about anything. No? Okay, good stuff.
0: Yeah, well done, Cliff. Very overworked, but not underappreciated. Um, i just kind of like put, put a line under what? what Cliff was saying about the affiliations. Of course, um, you know, being involved in the kind of the... I mean, actually, I think I think he mentioned the £30 cap on away tickets, didn't he? And, you know, that absolutely came through a lot of the supporters' trusts, uh, you know, getting together, particularly under the Premier League uh, umbrella, because they meet with Skudamore fairly regularly. And I think really it proved that if actually we do get together as, you know, as a whole and campaign on a lot of these issues, we can actually make some big wins, and that was a very good example. So therefore it's very important for us as a trust to, to be in amongst that, being involved with them and helping them and, and forcing through some of these issues, which obviously are very important to all of us here. Um, the other thing I'd say about affiliations, of course, is that the most important affiliation we probably have is with the Chelsea pitch owners, which Dave mentioned a minute ago. And, and we do, you know, talk to several of the board there quite regularly. And obviously, with everything that's coming up, there'll be a board meeting. Uh, there'll be an AGM there, I suspect, in January, as there usually is. Um, you know, I cannot stress uh, how important that is to support the CPO. And uh, if you haven't already bought a share, buy one. Um, but obviously, we will we'll be doing all we can to put our members' viewpoints towards the CPO and to helping them out. Um, and on the community thing, I mean, Cliff's work, I mean, he wouldn't say it himself, but I mean, I know it's a labour of love, but what he's helped to organise down at Brompton Cemetery is nothing short of remarkable, and it's an incredibly worthwhile effort. It, it's, it's great because it, it protects the heritage and the history of the club, and we're all part of that as supporters, but I think it also has quite an impact on the place itself and the community. So, actually, I'd like you all to give Cliff a massive round of applause for sorting that out. And, uh, yeah, I agree about the pubs and the and the, uh, the restaurants there. That's something that's very important, particularly if we're going to be moving away, because then I think they might realise how much they'll miss us if they're not careful. So anything we can do to mitigate that will be great. So enough of me. Um, I'd like to introduce Celia to you, who's going to present um, the highlights of this year's membership survey. Okay. And right, remember, you have to hit this close, Celia. Rem- imagine it's a lollipop or something.
8: Okay, um, so the survey. Thank you very much, first of all, to all of those that that um, filled it out. We got um, a fantastic response rate from our voting members—forty-four percent response, which is um, pretty amazing. I think the clubs send out a survey, and they're lucky if they get like seven percent or something. I think it's quite small. So, um, absolutely amazing. Response And overall, amongst all our members, there was a kind of 25% response rate. So, so it is very representative of, of the people that, that belong to the trust. Um, we, if you remember, we sent it out um, at the end of the season, and it was open for a month. Um, and we made a few changes. We, it's the fourth survey that we've done. Um, we've made a few changes. What we try to do is to kind of freshen it up with things that are current issues, um, maybe sometimes just tweak it so that we get a, a, a truer view of, of some of the aspects that we ask about. I think, you know, we, we, we've excluded people now that, that don't go to games for asking them about things like ticket prices and stuff because, because um, you know, they just spend their lives filling out what's applicable, um, and it's pretty boring for them. So, um, but this year, what we've done was we we, we had a section about um, the potential temporary stadium move, and also we asked some more questions about you know it's a it's a distant memory now, but about the ticket collection in Europe as well, which which um, you know, <laughs> not relevant, <laughs> just for next time, you know, next season, you know. <laughs> so. The thing is with the survey, it is always a snapshot.
0: I think, Dave, Dave, if, if he wants people to sign books now, let him just do That's it. it. the last slide. Okay, all right. Okay. Sorry, Celia.
8: It's okay. Um, so, so, inevitably, a survey is a snapshot of how people are feeling at the time. Um, but the results of the survey overall reflect the, the unsuccessful season we had last season. So, for the first time ever, ticket prices and atmosphere, um, although they were ranked very highly as the most as, as important issues for supporters, they they were knocked off by um, on pitch success with <laughs> lack of well, you know, what was important. Um, and sort of re- almost related categories of, of youth player development, which is always ranked fairly highly, but transfer policy and, and management stability. So um, so those were the kind of major things. There's, there's, a, there's a little printout of the summary here as well for you. But desp- it, interestingly, despite the on pitch difficulties and, and parting company with, with Mourinho, whoever he was, um, the satisfaction with the club administration was only slightly down on last year. So when we first started doing the surveys, it was very, very low. And it's kind of climbed up and reached a kind of little sort of um, plateau now. So in general, you know, they still haven't crossed over the satisfied barrier, but 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 people are more or less satisfied with the club administration, and the type of, type of questions we ask are things like, how do we feel about their PR? Do we feel they're engaging with supporters? Um, do they do they um, do they have a strategy for the future? And um, you know, these have been climbing slightly, and I, I like to think that partly it's, it's, you know, because they have engaged with the trust, and we have been doing the survey, that we're able to, to pass on information from our, from our members so that they have a, a better idea and, and perhaps a better steer of, 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 you know, how they can do things without alienating us too much. Um, one of the things that came out, we did ask a question this year about the supporter liaison officer. So um, I don't know if you, if you know, but I think all clubs in the, in the Premier League, is that right? Yeah. As, are supposed to have a supporter liaison officer. It's okay. <laughs> and um, I'm clearing the room. <laughs> um, and Chelsea's is, is Graham Smith, the box office manager. Um, and we asked if people were aware that we had one <laughs> and also if they knew who it was or how to contact them. And very disappointingly, less than 5% of people that responded to the survey knew the name, knew about Graham or how to contact him. So I think that's, that's some work to be done for us to try to persuade the club that they should really, really make that role um, much stronger and and in fact, they are supposed to be independent of the club, so it 's not something that 's kind of tacked onto somebody else 's day job I mean I guess it 's obvious that that the members welcomed the away ticket cap um, and over sixty percent of people that responded said they 'd now attend more away games, however people were concerned um, that it would be even more difficult to obtain tickets to go to away games. And also, there's an underlying concern. There's always a, a rumble about loyalty points, um, but there really is an underlying concern there about people, because tickets are, are less expensive, people purchasing loyals, uh, purchasing tickets without, without any intention of going, so, just so that they can... Achieve more, you know, gain more loyalty points for finals, etc. And I think that's something that maybe we should revisit—is yeah. the whole loyalty point issue again. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy with the club um, in terms of, of allocation of loyalty points. They—they they seem to be the, between the devil and the deep blue sea. But I think with with tickets being so inexpensive, and I've, I've anecdotally I heard that the the Leicester. Um, league cup game that that people you know they sold out pretty quickly but there were empty seats so i don't know um people people are obviously still concerned about pricing um and again this kind of grows every year maybe maybe people are you know growing up and having having families and stuff um but the a- availability of, of juvenile tickets and, and where, they can, where they can sit continues and is growing as an issue among our supporters. I mean, this is for members, obviously, um, because they're, they're in very short supply, basically. You can only sit in East Lower with them. And by extending the age group means that they don't necessarily want to go and sit with all the kiddies, people in their, in their late teens, Um but also there are very few tickets available in the East Lower for, for these concessions. There are also some issues around um, concessions at the other end of the scale with, with pensioners where they're not really taking um, note of, of women currently being able to retire earlier, being on a pension earlier. And also I think they're again, the sighting, they're in East Upper which is a, a crazy pace for, for somebody um, whose years are advancing a bit <laughs> to get <laughs> to get all the way up there. Um, I think, this, again, the, 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 the idea of the, the, the pricing of tickets is a concern, really, as well, related to atmosphere. Um, and, again, there continues to be a demand for a price category for young adults, I mean the club has has always rejected this as being too difficult to mainly their excuses that it's too difficult to administer but if other clubs are able to do this then you know I think maybe we one of the things that we could do is to look at best practice elsewhere and perhaps come up with a suggestion about how they could administer it as I said we we asked about move to a temporary stadium and and basically we we guessed where potential destinations might be so i think twickenham might be be off the off the agenda but we 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 said twickenham wembley and um and stratford Um, across the board most respondents said that they would they would that the time and or cost of travel would increase for them. I mean, you know, the, for, as, as Dave was saying about the demographic with the mega store and everything, the best the best place would actually be Twickenham in terms of the demographic.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com cheech jk in all the years you've been following chelsea you hardly ever miss a match home or away but how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on tv oh Chidge,
9: i'd be bereft
10: inconsolable the thought of missing my beloved blue boys life <laughs>
9: I'm so happy I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jij?
0: Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to NordVPN.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's thirty day money back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. A
8: graphic in that most people probably live in the sort of southwest west of, of London, so it's not so difficult to get to. But both Wembley and Stratford would involve most supporters in, in more cost and more time to travel. Um, most people said that they would still continue to attend. It wouldn't stop them continuing to attend weekend games. But I think midweek does become an issue, uh, particularly for Stratford... But for Wembley as well, that, that it's a it's a you know, a trek to get back home afterwards. Um, I do think there was a feeling that the club should should price tickets where you know, for a temporary saving to take account of of the fact that people are incurring extra cost to actually travel to those to those locations. Um, there were also questions about concerns raised about, as Dave said, about travel, travel, you know, club travel. If it's where's that going to be based from? If we, if we, you know, for away games, and similarly things like ticket collection, box office, all that sort of thing, because obviously, trucking up to Wembley to go and get your, I don't know, maybe not your European tickets, um, <laughs> would would. Inconvenience people even more than than perhaps going to Stamford Bridge now. Um, that brings me on to the European ticket collection. Um, people were very complimentary about the way in which Chelsea managed um, the collection of tickets. That that people were very very um, attentive and and helpful and everything else, and. Um, quite I mean quite surprisingly really, um, most agreed that the the club that the that the collection was convenient, so they didn't incur a lot of extra cost or they didn't feel that it was too out of the way. however, the majority said that the the the, the, the process just ate into the time that, that they would normally spend um, <laughs> socializing <laughs> <laughs> But things like the timing and stuff, they were people were happy with that. That, that, that it was open for a long time. So, you know, if we get back to Europe again, that will be interesting to see. Um, we did ask people about about the podcast for and about attendance at at the supporters' trust meetings, and that was quite a good a, quite a good ruse because even though it's in the newsletters and we tweet it, not pe- people weren't necessarily aware. That we we broadcast the meetings, or else we have the the virtual um, virtual general meetings as well. So I think that's that's kind of increased awareness of them. And most people said, "Oh, I didn't know." And yes, you know, you would definitely down, download them. Um, atmosphere. I think we ask every year what people think would do to what would improve the atmosphere, um, and it is. Really the same thing, you know, safe standing, s- sections of like-minded supporters being together, um, th- th- this idea about the young person's tickets and moving juveniles and also moving away supporters, which which I guess isn't going to happen until we move. Um, people really have appreciated the work that... that um, Richard and David have, have put in to, to working with the club to improve the atmosphere, some of the, the displays that there have been before, games and everything. Those were really appreciated, and, and people did really feel that they were improving the atmosphere. Um, we asked about the ticket exchange as well, and that seems to be working quite well, but people had some quite specific suggestions for it which i think when we talk to the club we will actually bring a list of those suggestions with them so one assumes that they look to update the system that they have for for ticket sales periodically so i hope that that the suggestions that you've all put forward can be used to improve the working of the ticket exchange Um, and then really finally is the the issue with overseas supporters so we asked them about things that we thought might be important to them like kickoff times availability um of matches on the on the tv um merchandise we we more or less got the same answers last year uh, i think merchandising outside of the uk they use they use separate merchants for for it and there isn't there isn't um such a wide range of products and that that seems to be something that really um they don't like they would like to be able to buy things you know have the same range of products um tv broadcasts brilliant i think the only problem is things like the league cup games some of the you know and and maybe some of the fa cup games aren't always broadcast um, I think they're they're long suffering with the kickoff times. They're used to having to get up in the middle of the night or something to to watch us. Um, and I think you know th- there is an issue about things like loyalty points to come and purchase tickets to to watch Chelsea, um, given that they maybe have to book their holidays a long time in advance and it's difficult to plan. And again, I think this comes down to the kickoff times and and um the T V companies changing the dates as well makes it very difficult to know when you can book your time off to come. Um and I think, you know, calls for for you know different different countries want, want friendlies to be played there. I think I think they are Big benefit for our overseas supporters who, who don't get the, the opportunity to see Chelsea otherwise. So so it would be, you know, good as long as it doesn't affect us in the in the season proper, it would be it would be again, we'll we'll pass that on to the club. So I think that's really all I've got to say. You may have questions about all sorts of other things, which I can probably answer. We're hoping to um, send it out to you before the end of the week. Full, the full survey, and hopefully it, it will show this, the trends as well over the last four years so you can see um, how, how people's views have changed or not. And we'll also be talking to the club about it very shortly and presenting it to them. So if you've got any questions is it question time now anyway? it, yes it yeah. is i
0: said t- before before we ask celia any questions i'd like to give her a round of applause i think as always she does a huge <laughs> amount of work <laughs> and you know other than the huge amount of work that she does i mean it, in, in many respects it's one of the most important things that we do as a trust all year because it 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 not only forms the basis of uh, us deciding what the motions should be which you all vote on which gives us our mandate but it Um, I think in terms of our our visibility and the kind of press that we get from it usually and the access that we get with with the club because of it, it, it's probably the single most important thing that we do all year. So we're very lucky to have Celia, who is able to do such a great job. So massive thanks to her for that. Um, I do have a question, actually, before we go to the floor, because somebody's put one on here. Um, Kingy says, juvenile tickets need to be available throughout the stadium, not enough for junior members in the East End. And I remember you picking up on that. Do you want to add a bit to that?
8: Well, that that certainly, it's always been there in the surveys, but it seems to be um, growing more in terms of of people asking for that. Lots of people have put in their comments that that they do need to be available outside of of just the East Lower. And and as I said, for for two reasons, really. One, that it's very difficult to get hold of the tickets because there are a lot of season tickets in, in East Lower, family season tickets. Um, and the other, that, that people that are, you know, I don't know, 14-plus, you know, probably probably want to, to all sit together and not sit with their mum and dad and the kids, you know. So um, I think it's something that we should should talk to the club about. We have talked to the club about. Mike, it, which is the roving, Mike? Mike? Is, so that, is that the one?
7: Sorry, it's so, for... Um Johnston here again, just uh, my, um, as part of my remit um, to um, c- uh, convey what's happening with the um, new stadium. I think that is part of the um, plan to um, enable people who do want to bring juniors into their part of the ground to um, make that facility more widely available. Okay.
0: Is that the long mic or is that the long- Then that's the mic that they need, and it can be on anything. It doesn't have to be just the survey. But
1: obviously, if it is the survey, that's great. See, so so just to uh, touch on the survey, um, two things have been made to me by one of the bigger UK uh, um, group, uh, regional groups we have. Are they, they're actually more concerned now about because of the because of the away tickets now that they're having to they're having to rotate across. A very small allocation of tickets to every domestic away league game over a small number, and visiting one of our um, and visiting one of our overseas groups last week, um, it was a day after they announced the uh, late made a late announcement of the, of the of the games for the next couple of months, and they made the point very strongly to me. That they are fed up with games being announced beyond the, the, the late point because it causes a massive problem. Being in America, organising not just your holiday, but suddenly finding your flights have changed. And, and, and one of the people there made the point: if the NFL are capable of, of fixing dates for London, where well, like there was a game at Twickenham today, from people from New York, how difficult is it for them? Not, and as Tim Roll said, he said Tim Rose Roll, Roll said. When I when I said to him that the club have announced the dates, the Premier League have said they will announce six weeks beforehand, and they failed the first time that the six the uh, six week thing came on. So we need to continually push it back at the club because people just well, may miss the game.
6: Uh, Ramsey here, yeah. Just a quick follow up on that, and I know I'm a cracked record, but the MLB is what 162 games in a regular season. And they do sort out every start time for every game before the season starts. We need to make sure that the TV companies take more responsibility for setting that out at the start of the season, not as it goes along, yeah. because it's unfair to and us. It's unfair to overseas supporters and everyone who wants to go to football.
0: Yeah, it's an ab- it's an absolute farce, Ramsey. Nothing nothing less than an absolute farce. And if you think, I mean, the MLB may have 162 games, but of course, you know. Most forgive me, anybody in the room who likes American sport, but my view on American sport has always been that it was designed for TV. Mm. So, to illustrate my point on that basis, you know, it's not as though the TV companies are kind of screwing it up for them, is it? You know, it's a farce. And and I mean, this is again something that we pick up with um, when we, we go to the, the Premier League meetings and the other Premier League trust meetings. And it's, you know, the, the, Tim's uh, little project on kickoff times will hopefully you know, lead to a collective, uh, you know, um, well, moan, for want of a better word, but at least we'll be putting our case forward to the PL with some decent facts knowing Tim, so watch this space on that. Anybody else? Dave. Just
3: yeah, hi. Uh, I just wanted to uh, raise a couple of points about the new stadium and the visitors in particular. Because my understanding is that they'll all be coming in through the Boveril Gate. Mm. Now, what I wondered was, will they be coming in from the Fulham Road, or will they have access from the... This sorry, Dave, there's a couple of other points. Uh, will they he's have
0: he's to answer, you can tell.
3: access along the back of the West Stand? Uh, also, is the club taking into account the varying allocations for the different competitions from from the whole shed at the moment for an FA Cup tie for example to maybe a wedge of 1500 for a league game I mean has that uh, been thought through Uh, and just one more point the uh, safe standing should should that take effect would the visitors also be entitled to um, a safe standing area so uh, I just wondered if you could Address those. The um,
7: entrance for away supporters at the box at the Bovril Gate is going to comprise of um, an underground entrance. So Chelsea supporters are going to have access 360 degrees around the ground without running into any away support. So they So. So the. Um, <laughs> So um, the away supporters will access it from the um, Fulham, Road. Fulham Road as they do now. The, no, um, to, sorry to interrupt you, Dave. Oh, no,
3: that's all right. Um, I, I mean, clearly we play clubs from other parts of London, and sorry, sorry, <laughs> uh, play other uh, clubs from other parts of London, and they travel by a tube, so presumably R- Fulham Broadway and. I just wondered if they'd be allowed access through the new entrances around the back of the Matthew Hardings. No, I
7: think they're only going to have one entrance, and that's going to be around by the Bovril Gate. Ah. Um, you know,
0: you, where are they going to be? Because it's quite interesting
7: how they're going to be situated. Because it's kind of not legislative, but there's, it's quite strict as to where you could put fans in, in that respect. Is there going to be all the corner? Yeah, it? but the new legislation is going to ensure that support... Like, you know, when... Anybody who's been to Newcastle and found themselves sort of twenty f- flights of stairs up in the air, up there with um, on the moon, behind able to spot uh, Gary Cahill being fouled. Um, that won't happen because you know the uh, new rules are going sh- are going to ensure that um, away support is pitch side, which will happen at Stamford Bridge. And as for the um, away allocations, the same. Uh, system will be employed then as it is now and there's not a lot as home supporters we can do about it or even moan about it if we ourselves when we get drawn away want to take advantage of a full allocation so it's you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander
3: safe standing the-
7: yeah I'm sure there will be a safe standing section as well and you know I mean it, I I'm hoping, as I said earlier, that it's going to be a domino effect, and um, the clubs, uh, all clubs, will realise the advantages gained from safe standing. And let's face it, the atmospheres at games are always ten times better if there's a good f- crew of away supporters to um, have a bit of banter with. So, and, and um, I think most. Most football-minded people in football are aware of that. You know, I know we've got someone at the room, in the room who works at the FA and, you know, fair play to him for being football-minded. I don't know about the rest of them who he works with. But as supporters, um, we're aware of that and as are all football-minded people who work in football. Any other questions? Sorry, Gigi. Can I just ask a question? We've all raised our glasses to Matthew Arden uh, in memory of um, his sad loss 20 years ago, yesterday. And uh, I'd like us to raise our glasses to wish our glorious Mr Abramovich happy birthday tomorrow. Because we wouldn't be be here today with him. Mr Abramovich, thank you. Thank you. you.
0: Dave, have you got him a present? Okay. Um, are there any, are there any more? Okay. Yeah. Don't don't tell me you've given him a fanzine. I know. Um, are there any more questions? Because we got we got to, we can have a couple of minutes. So if there's any more, please. Now is the time to ask them. Ladies and gentlemen, Kerry Dixon. Right. Okay. What, what I what I will say a couple of things. Bit of a sh- yeah, bit of ush. Uh, Obviously, welcome to Kerry. It's great, great to have you on board and a little less chaotic than the first time you came to a trust meeting, as I recall. Um, we, are, we broadcast this to, um, through my little fancast channel. It's all right. It's only on radio, Kerry. It's radio. It's not TV, it's radio. So, that, really, I'm just explaining that that's why we have the mic here. So, the mic isn't a PA, it's not actually projecting to these people, but it is going down here and through there to the people that we've got listening here. Okay, so you'll need to hold the mic. And we've got a roving mic. So, anybody wants to ask uh, Kerry a question, Ramsey, also known as Mickey Microphone for this evening's proceedings, will um, hand it to you. So, n- nobody wants to hear from me, they want to hear from Kerry. So, without further ado, Kerry Dixon. Yay.
9: Don't be shy. Any questions? Today,
7: history, otherwise. How would you have felt playing under Antonio Conti in that side today alongside Diego Costa? Well, today would have been great, but if I was Costa, I would have been a bit sick because I never got a goal. Um, I was the
9: type of player that I have to score, and people have accused me of if we won 4-0 and I didn't score, I'd have a long face. Um,
7: he missed a couple, didn't he? One, he got his, um, He couldn't get the ball from out of his feet when he was a foot away. That Dave, we're wrong. not coaches. We're
9: here for a Q and A. But um,
7: <laughs>
9: uh, uh, just. It's just. It's, it's not a knock at Dave. It's just an observation. Um, but yes, Diego Costa for me has been our best player this year. Um, but as I say, um, he would love to have scored. But listen, it's a four-nil victory, and you know every Chelsea player played their part. Um, it's my first time this season actually looking at it close quarters and I say close quarters in a certain way. You have to trust me on that one. Um, there's some improved performances. People talk about JT not being out. People talk or being out of the team and John was playing ever so well before his injury and uh, I thought it'd be an integral part of the side. But David Luiz, who many people had doubts with, for me, is playing quite well. Gary Kale had a good game today. Matic was arguably my man of the match, and everyone will have a different one. But I hate the defensive midfield player, don't get me wrong, um, as a role. Um, But Matic was a little bit more adventurous than normal, and I thought he played very well. There was a couple of times people got down the line with, with the ball, and Matic was actually in the middle of the box. I don't know what would have happened if the ball come in, but nevertheless, nevertheless he was there. Um, Victor Moses was another one that stood out for me a little bit. His work rate, his his discipline, and uh, what Victor Moses brings to the side is something that's been recognised by Conte, and I will come to the question about Conte, uh, because for me, the jury's still out. Um, I don't know about him. I loved the part when he was uh, saying to the fans, come on, get behind the team, when Manchester United fans were banging on whatever they could bang on and, and chanting, generally making a noise. Um, you mean the ones that were left? Though. Yeah. The ones that were left, yeah. They were making a noise. And it was great that Chelsea fans uh, responded to that. And I think that will go down well with the fans. Um, in terms of team selection, everyone will go about how great Conte is and how poor Jose Mourinho is. Um that's obviously not the case, looking at their history and what they've done and so on. Jose just took one, and he's not used to it, and uh, we're the ones smiling tonight. Yeah, um, Two-part question. Best and worst manager you played under, and after you left, which manager would you most like to played under? He said, uh, best and worst manager I played under, and after I left, who would I like to have played under? Best manager, John Neal. Um, sadly, he couldn't fulfill what he started because of his heart problems. Um, Bobby Campbell also, sadly, who died. Well, both of them have died. But Bobby Campbell was a decent manager. I mean, not everyone's cup of tea, but <coughs> he was in the second promotion side. He was manager of that. And Bobby was a great bloke, and he was a good manager. And after going down and taking over from John Ollins, he did well to resurrect the team and bring it back in the manner that he did. Um... Worst manager, it's, it's, it's a tough one, but it's John Hollins. Um
10: <laughs>
9: Obviously not that tough. Um, no disrespect, uh, third in the appearance makers for Chelsea. His first job and he ruined the best side I ever played in. So, you know, sorry about that. Just just any, um, yeah, uh, listen... For me, everyone wants to pass the buck on to someone else and pass the blame, you know. At the end of the day, these days, managers carry the can and uh, if you put your name to something, you stand and be counted. No good passing the buck on to Ernie Wally. The manager was John Ollins. If you're a manager, be a manager. Uh, second
7: part of Dan's question was, who would
9: you like to have played under as a manager? Who you did Not Not Jose. Um, pulling off Joe Cole, pulling off Damian Duff at half-time, um... Tell them centre-forward to chase after full-backs. You could get a Vinnie Jones off a ball of sight any time you want to go and chase fullbacks. If they got the ball in the box, I'd score goals. There's horses for courses and it's how you play. Um, this idea that's come into the game that everyone, pressing from the front and so on, people running around, you know, the game has evolved and television has been the cause of uh, what's gone on. You know, managers gesticulating. Apparently, the best managers are the ones that run around with their arms flapping and doing all doing all sorts of crazy things on the touchline. Well, if I saw one of my managers doing all them sort of things, I'd say, "All you have to do is call me over and tell me what you want." You know, who's who's he talking to? He's talking to the television cameras. You know, John Neal used to say, "Tell that," or send a message across, get and mark him, tell him to get tighter to him. He, it's not hard.
7: Talking about uh, Antonio Conti, though, Kerry, you've got to remember that he is Italian and they do speak with their hands.
9: <laughs> yeah, you've got a point, and I uh, I take that into consideration.
0: Actually, that, that's a, there's a good link. There's a good link there, Dave, because somebody on uh, on the channels uh, just asked a question. This is Bob Bob Uzzera, and Bob's from Fremont near South, uh, San Francisco, and he's listening right now, which I think is quite impressive. Uh, and he says, uh, what does Kerry think of Jose telling Conte he was being disrespectful on the sideline? Clearly that must have come out in the, pre- the post-match press, which I missed. But
9: I, I actually think that, um, and I'm not going to knock Jose because I actually think he is what he is. And he's our best ever manager in terms of trophies and what he's done for us. So I'm not going to knock him. But how many times have you heard managers distracting and creating an argument from what actually happened on the field? The last thing Jose would want is to talk about a 4-0 defeat away at his old club. So, gets into a spat with Antonio Conte about gesticulating to the fans. There you go. The press have got their headlines and everyone talks about that for the next two days. The reality is Manchester United lost 4-0. Get on with it.
7: Well, I'll just take the mic over here a minute, Kerry, right? Um, people um slagging off Chelsea because they only made a couple of signings close season brought back David Lewis and they bought uh, Marco were you Alonso? one of them no no and uh, I never sl- I've never sl- I've never slagged any f- any current player or manager at this club nor would I I'm here to support them, whoever plays but I think Alonso's done very well he's played he's done alright and I think okay. David Lewis has done alright okay. and Considering it's a squad game with 23 members in the squad, I think Conte seems to stick to the same 11. What do you think about that? Well, I don't agree with it's a
9: squad game um, because if you're good enough, you stay in the side. Um, Frank Lampard was never on the bench. JT was never on the bench. Didier Drogba was very rarely on the bench yeah. because they were good enough week in, week out. And if they were fit, they played. I was never on the bench. I was a couple of times, you know, but not too often. And all the players who are worth their salt, are not on the bench. The ones that get substituted are taken off and be left out week in, week out, or called rotated, depending on how you want to view it, are the periphery players. The wingers. The full not necessarily the full back, the people they don't take out, if you like, the spine of the side, they don't take out the players that matter. <laughs> it's not a pun, trust me. <laughs> uh, but that's the way it is, and that's the way you look at it. Jose Mourinho never took off anyone bar Duff, Joe Cole, uh, Matter. The list is endless, but he didn't take off Frank, JT, Drogba. Just a thought. Okay. Oh sorry, sorry so I'll dive in
0: then.
6: Uh, you mentioned TV. Um, How would you get on with refs? Because nowadays, refs, because every decision nowadays is, we all know they've got it wrong straight away. A minute in the ground, everyone's texting us. We can find out what he's got wrong, how he's cocked up here. He's got it wrong there. And there's a lot of pressure on refs. Um, Was it a bit easier for you to accept their decisions in those days? Or did you just hate their guts like I do all the time? No,
9: no, I don't hate their guts. Uh, I never had a problem with referees. Um, I was only booked... I think four times in my life, never sent off. Um, Unlike Gary Lineker, who's never sent off, never booked, but that's the story of my life, just a little bit shorter than Gary Lineker. Um, (laughs) Referees, they're human beings, they're going to get things wrong. Um, The dawn of advent, the the, the advent of TV cameras all over the place at every angle, has put more pressure on them. They're human beings. I don't want TV to be taken over like American football and every decision assessed and looked at by a panel in the stand. I want referees to be allowed to referee the game. The reason you talk about you hate them and all the rest of it and everyone has the ref made a rick or didn't do it right, people will still argue, well, what's wrong with getting decisions right? But the day that it becomes a panel and TV cameras and people within Ruling the game and running the game, the game won't be what it is for me.
6: I mean, I actually agree. It's just we get so much information now. We know they've made a mistake in the old days. We walk away from the game. Human beings make mistakes. I thought that was a penalty or that didn't look offside to me or whatever. And, you you know, it's it's chip paper. Listen, other
9: other TV pundits, they are both seeing the same situation, both sitting there in the same studio, and they disagree with what the decision is. What happens if that... What happens if a referee said, and they refer it to a panel or someone looking at a TV camera, they go, that's not a penalty. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Does it go to a vote? (laughs) Meanwhile, players are playing football.
7: A few years ago, I was lucky enough to play against Kerry Dixon when um, we played... um,
6: (laughs) He's never been the same. No,
7: he are. Who, me (laughs) or Dave? (laughs) 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 We we played um, Chelsea Old Boys and... um, you know that old adage that you hear in um, football, I like jokingly said it to Kerry Dixon I went, Come past here, Dixon I'll break your legs. And um <laughs> uh, right. I never got to touch the old game, he was on me, right? He knew everything I was gonna do. And they totally outclassed us and you know, we're a few ye- <laughs> we're a few years younger than them. And I just wonder, Kerry It winds me up, something chronic, when I'm sitting next to somebody in the ground and they're saying, whoever it is, Chelsea player, he's rubbish, get him off, blah, blah, blah. Would you agree with me? It's harder than it looks.
9: I would agree with you that it's uh, everyone's opinion to go into the ground when they pay their money to say exactly what they want, providing it's not abusive. Um, That's what is called a supporter. You lot won't agree on the game today. You'll all have, you'll all agree it's 4-0, and that's probably about all you'll agree on. Um, different people have man of the match. Um, different people have different men of the match. Um, no, Dave, I think once you go into the ground and you're a supporter, you're allowed pretty much to say what you like, um, providing it doesn't infringe, as I've said, on abuse. Um, it's no good when you think you disagree with someone who's sitting next to you and is very vocal. Um But I think all supporters are what they are. And the beauty of the game, when they go to the pub, or they go to a restaurant after a game and they disagree and they see whatever, that's what makes the game. Um, I don't know. Uh, It's just my thought. But pays your money, takes your chance. And some people like certain players. I mean, how the hell Pat Nevin got player of the year one year and I didn't get it. It's beyond me. (laughs) But that's the beauty of uh, people's opinions.
0: I was never good good enough to play football. Um, Sorry. Hi, Kerry. Um, I was never good enough to play football, so I played
9: rugby. Um, It looks that way. Thank you very much. So, how do you feel about the footballers rolling around and all the rest of it? When rugby, yeah, you just get on with it and don't show any
7: sort of um,
9: pain at all. We bow down to you, sir. Um, You're you're absolutely right. And listen, the rugby guys are fantastic. I can only take my hat off to them, the way they play the game. Someone said to me out there, you know, the likes of Tony Adams, the likes of John Terry, they'd give you a whack, give you some stick, take one back, afterwards shake your hand, have a pint in the players' bar, and say, see you next game. They'd walk out, give you a crack, a dig, and listen. That's how it should be played. That's how it is. That's the game we know. Um, not breaking people's legs, not going over and above, but give no quarter for your team and stand your ground. And rugby players do that. And I think certain footballers need to learn that.
10: Kerry, as a Man United fan and a guest of some, a Chelsea fan, what have we watched today?
9: Leave him alone. He's licking his wounds. Go on.
10: <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was here in 1973 when Bobby Charlton's last game here, so it's a long time ago. Yeah. Best of my idol. But we've picked up Paul Pogba. The money you paid for him. Do you think there should be a salary cap on what you pay for people? Because, don't be funny, he, he played today. he was absolutely, can I swear? No, it, no, it, no, Oh, no. No, no. He was absolutely crap. He was, he was diabolical. I think, for 98 million, what has he done? He was no better than someone, one of the young kids that cost nothing. I don't it's know who like does.
7: It's nice to have a proper Man United fan here with a proper London accent. Put my glasses on. Listen, before we give him
9: stick around upon him, that's how I grew up. Every Man United fan had a London accent.
10: <laughs> 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 but so le- I all right, but ne- oh yeah, I'm, just I'm from, I'm from the old school when footballers like I've watched your Chopper Harris kick lumps of out of everyone out of, out of Bestie, but Bestie stayed on his feet. Yeah, correct, and then unless he had to go over, he would stand on his feet and score a goal, and then. Chuck Hours to say, "Fair enough, I can't do nothing about him. He was too good." Yep. But it ain't night like out these days, is it? They just they'll roll over and do their four cartwheels and two somersaults, and look at them and say, "I want a penalty or on a free kick."
9: Yep, I've got to say we've had our fair share of them at Chelsea as well. Um, you know, and no disrespect to anyone, Didier first year, uh, good goodness, goodness me. So even the fans, not say Dave's looking at me again. They didn't turn on him, but they. They thought that uh, Didier get up and because that situation. He went on to be what he is to all Chelsea fans, and quite rightly so. But what was brought home to him and other people, we, the public, and I, Manchester United, West Ham, Arsenal, we don't want that in the English game. No, it's not what we were brought up, it's not what we expect. Um, but you can't help the Continentals who come in and are brought up in a different way, in a different style of football. They do learn when they come into our Premier League Division 1, I like to call it, but it's Premier League, um, That this is the way and this is what is expected, um, I have to agree with you, Ron said he wouldn't even get a game today, you know, maybe. Old to be <laughs> well what he also said, he said, do you think you'd get a game today, any of your team would get a game today, he said, uh, yeah, just the nine of them, that's because we're all between 60 and 65, Ron actually believes that, which is fair enough. Um He believes that. Uh Rolling over's not right. Pogba, 98 million. Perhaps I got it wrong, but who done the transfer because 18 million missing? Well, I thought it was 80 million. But anyway, if it's, it, if a Manchester United fan is more informed than me, 98 million's fine. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we won't... Re- I know. Pogba was crap today. And listen, for a man... I, I don't necessarily think that a transfer fee should be something that is saddled with a player's expectations. No, it's not. Um, if you bought him for £30 million and he played crap, is it any less than a player that was bought for £98 million? No. The The common denominator is that he played crap. Um, you've got to accept that. Um, there were certain times last season when one of our best players, if not our best, Eden Hazard, played crap, and along with a few others. It isn't about necessarily what the transfer fee is. It's about playing for your club and having a bit about you and making sure you don't play like that again. Uh, Okay, Kerry, um, have you played tennis
0: since your England days? Uh, Tennis since your England days.
1: And how would you um, score a goal against Argentina playing for England?
9: I haven't got a clue how I would score against Argentina. Um, I haven't played tennis, hence uh, six stitches in my eye there, playing John Barnes when I understood the question. Um, a day before I was due to possibly get a game, nevertheless, I think Mark Hately retained his place in that particular position. My tennis injury didn't help the night before. I was just trying to keep myself a little bit fit because I weren't getting much game time with England and uh, went for a game of tennis, but Unfortunately, this gentleman knows as much as me. Some he'll fill you lot in a bit later on for those of you that don't know. Argentina? <laughs> if if I, I know, if I would have played, I know. Lindica got yeah, I know. Anyone else? Greatest
7: Chelsea player apart from yourself.
9: Greatest apart from myself. Good job you said that. Um <laughs> <laughs> it, it all depends. Franco Zola, arguably, for me, but in terms of skill, but the man that is from midfield took three years longer than me to become our greatest ever goalscorer. I think Frank Lampard.
7: How pleased were you that Frank Lampard put a little bit in your um, latest book? Ecstatic. Top man, isn't he, Kerry?
9: No, he's not bad. Listen, I've already said. um, Bobby Tamlin said I was the man that kept him in business. Um, I'm the idiot that never. I should have put Frank's record, or the record, out of reach with the three and a half years I had. I don't know how far this this is going, but when I was told they had a two million strike force coming and I'm going to be in the reserves, if I'd have known it was Mick Arthur and Robert Fleck coming, I'd have stayed. (laughs) Who was the worst player you played with? There was loads in that time. There was? Uh, you can start with John Miller, John McNaught. I don't know if you remember. So, I mean, <laughs> poor old John McNaught. Doug. I mean, Big Doug. I mean, how he won the champ, or Cup Winners' Cup with Aberdeen. <laughs> Viv- An- he in that Arsenal game you're talking about. Viv Aniston, when I went went with England. He says, "What have you signed at left back?" That thing hit me on the halfway line. I went six foot up in the air. He was nowhere near the ball. He's And sure enough, he wasn't Big Doug, you know, but I'm not going to say he's the worst because he was a big unit. He also
0: had a great song carry.
9: Worst player? God, there was loads. I mean, how far do you want to go back? It's a bit unfair.
0: Did you play with (laughs) (laughs) Cundy?
9: Nothing wrong with Jason.
0: I'm only joking. that, you know that show we did on Friday. I dug out the old YouTube clips of those matches. Cause we we talked about uh, the two one. You corrected me; you were right. And the uh, the one 0 up at United in eighty six. And and I and I watched the clip. And Doug Doug did one of his famous Doug tackles, which you're absolutely right. Nowhere near the ball. Bloke flying up in the air, and then sitting there go what? <laughs> what? <laughs> absolutely. If you see fantastic. this guy,
9: anyone that don't know. He he was six foot three or four. He had one tooth in his head. It was like <laughs> <sighs> he had legs like a rugby player. Oh, goodness me!
0: <laughs> right, has en- anybody get any other? Yeah, Charles, wonderful. I well, mean, uh, how are you doing for time, Kerry? Because I mean, it's it's twenty five past eight, so we should probably it, put a limit on it. Really, it's
9: normally early for me.
0: <laughs> What's your favourite moment as
1: a Chelsea player?
9: Favourite moment as a Chelsea... And, wor- and worst moment. Worst moment? Um, worst moment was being sub at Watford after rumours went out about a possible transfer request, which I have to say, um, it was um, talked about with John Hollins, Uh but Ken was up, uh, up the Amazon on his boat. I think a bit of politics flying around. It's all in the book if you want to buy it. Um, <laughs> just a pun. Uh Best ever moment in a Chelsea shirt was that Highbury moment, I'm afraid. Um, but the second one was the Grimsby one when we clinched the second division the goal before. Um, it was because it wasn't expected. Everyone seems to forget that the side 89-90 we went on a 26 game unbeaten run and we were a strong side and everyone was waiting for it to happen when it when it eventually happened against Leeds at home. It wasn't quite the same as the Leeds at home first time round. It was I think Johnny Bumps had got one but we won 5-0, the first one, and crowd on the pitch, and it, the euphoria of it all, and then Manchester City, and then Grimsby. Then Arsenal. I mean, four games in them two years was quite incredible. But I've always said that my best out of the nine years I was at Chelsea, the best two years were the first two.
0: Um we we played Middlesbrough away, one one game, and um, the game got called off at the last moment. And um, you were playing with Southampton that day at Nottingham you, and Forest. Yeah. I
9: knew I was gonna you were going to say
6: that. Did you there, realise there, there were st- Chelsea? F- there was, it was Chelsea strange. Fans supported you that day.
9: Sorry to interrupt, but I knew it because I, I found it the strangest thing. Yeah. Um, I wasn't very well liked at Southampton. David Speedy even less. Um, but <laughs> nevertheless, I was playing and. People were cheering Southampton from behind the fo- in the Forest End, from behind the goal, thinking Well we had a corner. And what I looked at, it, there was a fair group of you. Don't worry, Kerry, we're Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> all the Nottingham Forest fans all around them were looking, they're wondering what's going on, a uh, Chelsea in their end and all that. But I thank you for that; it's much appreciated. Tony Adams. Tony Adams was the toughest ever player I played against individually. You had Bruce and Palliser which were decent. Um, Hanson and Lawrence. And they were a good side. Liverpool at the time. We put up some decent performances against them. Shorten and Briggs were assassins at Oxford. For those of you that remember that, the best ground I ever played against the Sun is right three point Lane. Um, my most favourite away ground. Um, You thought it would be Old Trafford, which is second. But nevertheless, three-point lane is everyone's favourite in that day. Even Tony Cascarino got a (laughs) (laughs) hat-trick. Outside of all your Chelsea moments, how special was the Luton semi-final for you? Well, listen, even including all the times, the Luton semi-final... It was a disaster for me in terms of football because at the age of 32, it was the last time I was ever realistically going to make an FA Cup final. And it was the most humbling moment of my footballing career um, because of what people like yourself made it for me. Um, couldn't say any more. The reaction after the game was quite incredible. You were going to Wembley to play Manchester United in the final, having been beat, having won 2-0 courtesy of two Gavin Peacock goals. To Be singing my name, the amount of fans that were doing that, I say no more. It was the most humbling day of my life in terms of what football is all about.
0: I think that's that's it, Kerry. Can we just say thank you so much for coming along, Kerry? Thank you. Lovely, lovely to see you mate. And there's a, there's a few lads, we, we we stuck away some books here earlier because there's a few lads who wanted to buy the book and get it signed, right? Sure. And, I've
7: got
0: a and lady. lady. And lady. I'm terribly
7: sorry. I didn't know it was you two. We're going to, uh, anybody else want any books? We're going to, um, you're going to come down to Everton. I'll come down
0: hopefully to Everton. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go.